can't stand it. That little girl that was talking about her birthday, that's my granddaughter, by the way. She's so cute. And it is her birthday on the 31st. That's the strangest thing. I thought, how in the world, when she was being born, Lord, just a few more hours, please, please. <laughs> but we always know when her birthday is, that's for sure, October 31st. All right. Um, so hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say on it, Mercy That Speaks. And um, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because we're going to talk about the Father's love a little bit. And I just want to start with John 5, 19 to 20. It gives you the key to Jesus' ministry and the key to ours and the key to our walk with him. And uh, just in these couple of verses, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he'll even show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. I love this passage so much. In some ways, it's become kind of a life verse for me because uh, I didn't understand the work of the Holy Spirit, the Father, how he could come in such love and how he could communicate that inside a person's heart until one fine week, uh, probably the, well, the greatest weeks of my life and a succession of experiences with God, I... I uh, fell, uh, became in touch with the amazing love of God. I don't even know what it was. All, it does, all I knew was it made me cry a whole lot for no apparent reason. And every time I think about something tender, I just get all weepy inside, which was very, very unlike me. And you can ask my wife. Still is very, very unlike me. But uh, to have something go through me like that as a spiritual experience, I, I never have recovered from it. It was like an earthquake went through my soul. But it was an earthquake of compassion, not power, not revelation. And some surprising things began to happen as a result of that experience, which I didn't even understand. To have Eddie Pjork explain it to me and re-explain it to me. And many of us know that as part of this ministry and part of our church, a very a huge part of the fabric of our church is what we call the Father loves you, the Father's love, right? And so every once in a while we'll have a seminar on that. We always teach it in our newcomers class, which they're about to get to it soon, but it's not an it, it's a he. And so this word here that we're seeing here, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. I'm, the title of this sermon is Mercy That Speaks. What I found is that uh, as I felt the compassion of God, I also found that I could hear the voice of God clearer than I'd ever heard before. And um, this is what happened with Jesus. He, he was in touch with the father's compassion and that compassion spoke and led him places, right? told him what to do in every situation, how to respond. And he always responded in an appropriate way because love was beating him. I, n I never realized how controlling and powerful just an experience of love would be. I, I think that uh, sometimes when we think of love, it's such a, a misused word sometimes in our vocabulary. But what we're talking about is something from God so supernatural that it touches you at the deepest level, the core of your life, and affects everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you pray. And it has quite supernatural because out of that place, you can see what the Father's doing. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So it wasn't as mechanical as it might look. There was a sense of compassion God would give for certain people, a certain situation, and the Lord knew then how to respond to that. And I've been learning that myself. Sometimes we want to understand who to speak to or who to evangelize or who to maybe help or pray for. I just go by the compassion. When I feel that compassion for them, I just start, go for it. You know, I don't care if they're in the mall. I don't care where they are. And I've learned to respond to that compassion because out of that compassion and mercy, God speaks. God gives the clearest words of knowledge, clearest information. He gives you uh, uh, kind of a thought, this is the way, walk in it. So I always look for the love in my heart, my situation, to guide me, to help me understand. So Jesus brought a new and compassionate way of doing things. Yet much of what he said actually is said, uh, is said and modeled in the Old Testament. Like, for example, uh, this story in uh, Jeremiah chapter 22, toward the end of, of Israel's reign as a nation, they had a really bad a king who would replace a great king. His name was Shalom. And look what he says. This is Jeremiah prophesying. 
Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Some people think that if they just had more cedar, cedar was an expensive building product. It was a note of prestige. If I just had more money, you know, I would be a better person. I would be able to do so much. Did not your father have food and drink? Did, he did what was ju- right and just, so all went well with him. And he did, actually. It was more than food and drink. He was just saying that as a symbol, that he was blessed financially like crazy. He was, everything he did prospered. But look what he did. This is the key thing. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. What does he mean, all went well? Well, pick your category. But who wants all went well to be the epitaph over your life, right? What good is it to have a bag of money and your kids hate your guts or someone's sick or ill in your family or you name it, right? All went well. So he's saying, look, look, you can walk with me. All that you're after, it'll be fine. But just do these things. Defend the cause of the poor and needy, by the way. That takes compassion. But your eyes... And your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. So when Jesus came, he brought this thought that's expressed in many, many passages in the scripture, the very compassion of God. He, he embodied it. He experienced it. He taught on it, right? Uh, making love a teaching, I think, is a little counterproductive, if not the experience of love with it. Many, many people have never felt the deep compassion of God, or if you have only in spurts. And so for me, that was the way I was a long time ago, until, uh, for a long time, until a few years ago when that happened to me, and I began to experience deeper and deeper levels of love, and then I began to learn to cultivate that, because love can escape sometimes. You get hardened. Sometimes life's circumstances hardens your heart, you know. Whenever your heart gets hardened and you get sort of, uh, you know, uh, in that space, you know, where you don't really care anymore and that sort of thing, uh, that's when the uh, compassion evaporates and that's when our heart needs to uh, be softened because out of that softness, we actually hear God's voice telling us what to do, and where to go. He's soft, but in his softness is what I'm trying to communicate to you is his voice and it's a powerful voice. It could be a still small voice. It could be a thundering voice, but whatever I do out of compassion almost always is accurate almost always works. And uh, I used to learn this from my grandmother. My grandmother used to do some of the most audacious things. I mean, she would just uh, embarrass all of us all the time in restaurants and stuff because what would happen to her is she would feel this deep compassion for the waitress, for example. And pretty soon, before I knew it, she was up praying for that waitress and that waitress was in tears and the whole restaurant's looking at us and we're all crumbling in our seats, you know. But looking back on it, she should have been my hero. She just embarrassed me a lot, right? She was so much like that. She would read about things in the newspaper, and then she'd go respond. Like most of us read something in the newspaper about a terrible thing. Well, my grandmother would read it and then go to the person's house. (laughs) That's what she would do, right? Totally embarrassed us. But it was powerful. Now that I look back on it, and she had been an invalid. She'd been suffering herself, and somehow in that broken place, she had learned the love of God and the mercy of God. And I remember there was this older woman that uh, article was about 107 years old in the hospital. And I remember my grandmother saying, you know, I bet you all her children have died out. I bet she has no friends. So my grandmother was in a wheelchair. So she wheels up to the hospital, goes and finds this woman and becomes her lifelong friend until she died three years later. So funny thing is that mercy that she had in her heart came out of her own suffering, but she used it to her advantage with the comfort that she got from God then she gave it away because mercy speaks. Mercy has an outlet. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to uh, 13. I want to read these verses. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Why was Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth? Because Matthew was a tax collector, the most hated person in all of his city, right? No one liked the tax collector. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Well, Jesus was having dinner, can you believe that, at Matthew's house, which probably freaked out the whole neighborhood. Many tax collectors, <laughs> he, had a, he had buddies, and all his buddies were the tax collectors and the sinners. So Jesus thinks, hot dog, that's the place where I belong, where the tax collectors and the sinners are, came and ate with him, and which was a sign of friendship, which even the people that liked Jesus and loved Jesus could not hardly believe that he was doing. 
because these people were so hated, but he came and ate with them as a sign of friendship. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So he genuinely felt compassion for these people. And so that's where he went. But the signs and wonders weren't too far away from his compassion as he demonstrated it with the most evil of sinners, right? But I believe when Jesus was doing this, he wasn't just doing this to make a religious point. He actually identified with them. He saw who they really were. He saw Matthew, who's writing these very words, who he really was. He saw him as Matthew the Apostle. He didn't see all the other stuff. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So there's a little line there. So you can do a lot of religious things, right? And serve God in a lot of religious ways. But the most important thing is that somewhere along the way, you fall in love with his love. You experience his mercy. Then you won't just do religious things. You will do his things. Not all religious things are that important. But what he wants you to do, where he wants you to go, that's the important. Whether they're a sinner or a saint, whether they're a good person or a bad person, right? Jesus framed fasting and prayer in the context of true love for all people, not the old wineskin of earning God's approval through sacrifice and discipline. Interesting. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples did not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And what made this new wineskin so amazing was compassion and mercy. He couldn't just bring the power of God. He would just get what had been done before, right? Arrogant people coming into arrogant positions long after he had gone, right? Doing arrogant things. And in the midst of their religion, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. They had all kinds of religion, but they had no love in them. And so they made lots of wrong judgments and lots of wrong things. They actually exploited the kingdom and actually found a way then through the law and through the ways they, their ways to actually find nooks and crannies in the law to benefit themselves. For example, Jesus told them, he said, you know what? You guys have everything so perfect, but you don't even take care of your own parents. You say, well, what should have been for my parents is dedicated to the Lord. And you do lots of things like that. You see, there was religion, so they needed a new wineskin. You just had to redo the whole thing. So that's why you had to die. But most importantly, from the death and the crucifixion was the forgiveness that was offered to all of us. It wasn't just a sacrificial death. It wasn't just a death that was done out here. It was done with us in mind to show us love and then to also, which is really, really important, make us lovers, right? So I want to read Matthew chapter 58, 1 to 7, I'm sorry, Isaiah 58, 1 to 7, which explains this uh, even better. And uh, uh, on my Bible, it says true fasting. And of course, fasting and prayer, that's a, like at the height of sacrifice and maybe service to the Lord in some people's book. But look what he says about this. Shout out loud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the sentence of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the command of its gods, of the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So they do this religious thing over here. But nothing changed on the inside of them. And so they're exploiting people. They're doing evil things, actually, even while they're fasting. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. It became like a competition, you know. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Mercy speaks, not religion. You want your voice to be heard on high. Love speaks. 
That's God's language. You want to speak his language. Don't be religious and angry and mean-spirited and do these things that come from that kind of lifestyle. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in the sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Look at verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. What an amazing thing. I'll probably go along a little bit further with that. But So, no more quarreling and exploiting while religiously pursuing God, verses 3 and 4. No humbling and fasting without also blessing the weak and the oppressed. Because that place comes out of love and understanding of God's ways. And the amazing result, as we see in verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. As a result, an amazing result is your voice is, voice is heard on high. Your voice is heard on high. Mercy speaks. Mercy speaks even to God, right? Mercy speaks to Him. Mercy talks to Him. Mercy that's done communicates with Him. Mercy joins Him to you. If you look at Roman numeral 2 on your outline, I call it mercy that builds the bridges of God. See, Jesus spoke a message that even Matthew the tax collector and his friends could hear, right? A meal together with genuine openness and friendship, and they could figure that out. It was a bridge to them, right? They understood that. Somehow or another, they could understand that, that he would actually go and eat with them was a major, uh, uh, a major deal, wasn't it? as we read before in Matthew chapter 9, 9 to 13. And so he built that bridge of mercy. There are deeds that many people recognize as good. God wants us to use these bridges of love and mercy to speak his message to the world. That's what he had in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? See, so we're, we're people that should make people thirsty. They look at us and they want to be like that. They know somehow that what we're doing is right. It's a good thing. Not a religious thing. There's a difference. A good thing. And even in our poor, divided country now with so much going on, there are things that we can all agree on still. And some of those things are these things. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That's the salt losing its saltiness. You're the light of the world. A, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And as we look back at uh, Isaiah chapter 58, we see various bridges, things that we do in mercy that speak of this, that speak of God's glory, that, uh, that speak to others and and helps other people come into what we're doing and want to be a part of it, right? Isn't it interesting in our world? It's the same. That I think that uh, there's lots of people that politicize what they do. I know that. But irrespective, the seed of being kind to another person is a good thing. It's something that we should all be able to rally around. But it should be at the core of who we are as well, right? Is this not the kind of fast I've chosen only a day for to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, doing, going through all of the, you know, the, uh, the religious things, formalities? Isn't this what I, I've called the loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? So we look at these various things. Here's mercy. Here's mercy that builds bridges. Here's mercy that actually can help the sinner, even the, weak, the most wicked person, take no and say, well, that's probably a good thing. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Interesting thing. I think there's a lot of people that um, would like to do this and kind of be involved. 
Um, that way, we're, we're involved with this a lot more now than ever have we ever have. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, people don't come in nice, neat packages. You don't hear romantic music often when you're helping a poor wanderer or sharing your hungry with the food, even those that need clothes and so on, um, because they're pretty uh, hardened in a pretty difficult space, just like you would be if maybe you were in that situation. Some of them are still under the throes of alcohol and um, and great difficulty. And it's so funny, there's so many romantic notions about having compassion for the weak. But once you start doing it, it's amazing. I've seen how many people have lost their compassion because you see how ridiculous they are and they see you see how they keep causing their own demise and their own failure, right? They keep doing the things that if they would just do it this way, they'd be different. But somehow or another, that's our homeless dilemma that we're facing right now. Because even with the help sometimes, we look at it and, and they don't do anything with it. They actually, because their problem is deeper on the inside. But there are bridges of God, bridges of mercy that we can do, but we need to offer them Jesus as well. Because when we do that, it gives us an opening. And those that will receive Jesus, those that will come to the Lord, they'll come and they'll change. That's part of what we've found. But here's a very interesting thing I found, which I didn't expect. Yes, I have lots of compassion for the weak and the broken, but the thing is, they could be so obnoxious and so ridiculous, I found out that something else needs to happen. That something that needs to happen is on me, inside me. I need to draw on resources deeper than I could ever draw on. I have to draw deep from God's reservoir of compassion and have compassion on them anyway, even though they fail 55 times in a row. Right? Thing is, people don't often change on our scale, on our time frame. That's one of the hardest things to understand. We give them this and this and take care of that and give them Jesus. That should do it. Now, come on, boy. Come on, girl. <laughs> right? Step in line. But deep brokenness sometimes takes time, and it needs deep compassion. And it needs a compassion from the people giving it that has to be consistent and repeated, sometimes down to the place where you think you're going to die, you're giving them so much compassion. But you are. You're going to where Jesus went for us. You're going to that hard place. One thing we found is that compassion, serious compassion over time, will find a way for people. And they'll eventually find it. It just make might take a lot longer. In our present homeless crisis and dealing with the weak and the poor, what the church needs right now is a deluge of compassion because it's going to take that much to deal with people and all their crazy stuff all the great things you're doing for them, and they still react the wrong way, make the stupid decisions. And we're just going to have to give them uh, a few times at the bar until they get over. If you don't understand that, you'll never be able to deal with them because many people are so broken, it takes a while. They're in a serious place. They're like intensive care. And their spirit needs to heal up, and their bodies need to heal up, and it's going to take some time. Frankly, I don't know that the church, without the compassion that the Father shows us, can deal with them because we don't have enough patience. There's plenty of people that are just mostly broken or kind of broken <laughs> that we could deal with. The people that are totally broken, whew, that's a resurrection from the dead. But Jesus can do it. But he's going to need love on both sides because even when a person that's not doing well, what their deepest need is, they need to find the love of God. They need to find God and know that he loves them and accepts them just the way they are. And they've got to believe with all their heart that if they, if, they, if they take a few steps toward God, he's going to help them. And it's only love that sustains them. They don't have enough faith, really. Um, they build faith over time, but faith operating through love does the job. And it's the same with us on the other side. So if we're ever going to come up to a place where we actually are able to help the weak, we need to build these bridges of compassion so that the healing power, the prophetic power, the financial power of Jesus can come across, right? Mercy speaks. Even verse 10, and if you spend yourselves on behalf, And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, 
then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Isn't that an amazing promise for us? So yes, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. Love will get you through the sacrifice. But on the other side of it is this amazing promise. Our needs are taken care of. Our light rises in the darkness. Our night becomes like the noonday. I don't suppose there's anybody in here that would like that to happen to them, right? Because <laughs> I know there's a lot of night out there that needs to be noon. It's a lot of things that are dark in your lives right now, even in our lives as believers, that need to change. But could I just suggest to you that giving and showing love and mercy to other people, even when you feel dark on the inside, may be one of the greatest prescriptions you can have for your own darkness. Almost dynamic passages in the whole Bible is give, and it will be given to you. Sometimes in a situation that we're in, we wonder how we're ever going to get out of this mess. But one thing you might try is not only receive help, but actually give help, no matter if it's just a tiny thing that you can do for someone else, you might find yourself finding your way out of that mess. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, there's some other examples of what we might call bridges of love. Bridges of love for people, right? So they can get to the other side. And uh, bridges is for us as we give that love. So we develop this walk with God that gets deeper more steeped in the compassion of God every day. Matthew 5, <clears throat> 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Wow. How do you do that? One of the things that I don't like about <clears throat> some ways that are expressed, even from maybe a conservative side, and it's the side that I think uh, that has the left, uh, it leaves them uneven. It leaves them without a bridge. Because when they perceive us sometimes in our righteousness and in the truth that we give, which can be 100% dead on, and probably is in many circumstances, they, they see pride, they see harshness. And many of them in our world, many people, families, people are so broken that harshness, they just can't handle it, even when it's the truth, right? You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and the other cheek, the other cheek also. Wow, what a deal. So Jesus allowed that to happen to him, even when he was rescuing people that, like for example, the woman that was about to be stoned to death. He said to them, you have not sin, throw the first stone. But also, he had to live that out himself when people were attacking him, saying horrible things about him, turning the cheek, right, actually caused many people to come to God. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What an amazing thought. That kind of mercy speaks really, really loud, especially in today's world. Matthew 10, 1 to 8. Here's the mercy that speaks. We've been given great power as the body of Christ. We shouldn't relegate it to a few faith healers and to a few people who maybe look a little uneasy and we're not even sure that they actually are delivering what they're saying they're delivering. Truth is that we're all called to do supernatural work. That mercy speaks really, really loud. So when a person gets healed of something, when we pray for them, when a person gets restored just from a simple prayer, it's amazing. It's the compassion mercy of God. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing, and evidently the Father's pretty compassionate because he kept healing people and delivering them, right? It's so important, though, that we get a hold of this power because it's freely offered to us. So not only do we have this power to show compassion, to go the extra mile, but we actually have a supernaturalness about us. So when we deal with people that are horrible drug addicts or people that are sick in their body parentally, we can actually offer them more than just give them a place to stay. We're equipped with praying for the sick. We're equipped with supernatural power. It's so important for us in this time 
to exercise that mercy. It's not about you showing off that you can demonstrate the power of God. It's not that you're so spiritual and so holy or you've got so much faith you can leave over a mountain. Actually, praying for the sick is a matter of mercy. Learning to pray for the sick, doing it often, or helping somebody with supernatural power. You may not even have anything to offer them in a moment's time in a supermarket or in a, uh, a, a shopping center. But your prayer is so powerful, it touches the heart of God, and you can see miracles happen. Miracles are because we need to show the compassion of God. They're not optional in the arsenal. When Jesus did his miracles, it was most of the time showing compassion to people. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Praying these prayers is a part of the equipment of the church. It's important. It's why we show mercy. It's, it's important that you learn to step out in faith and pray for people, to witness to people, to do supernatural things. And the only way it'll happen is for you to take that wonderful, embrace that wonderful world, uh, word, excuse me, R-I-S-K, risk. So it's risky for us to do that. It's risky for us to witness. It's risky for us to insert ourselves in a situation like my grandmother did all the time. I mean, I thought to myself, I rolled my, head, my eyes in the back of my head more than once. I thought, oh, no, we're in Denny's. What's going to happen now? Oh, and my mother was thinking the same thing, you know. And before I knew it, my grandma was praying for this person, and she was weeping in the aisle. And then we got to start feeling ashamed of ourselves. But then we thought, man, I'm glad she does. I don't want to do that. That's so embarrassing. And now I got her mantle. And I'm becoming more and more obnoxious. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just... And so it, it's just important. So when we teach about signs and wonders... You know, and, and, and it's just so exciting, uh, I think, as, as a young person, you know, uh, I remember just so exciting, but as any kind of person to see that, to, to, to believe that, that God could heal or God could deliver or God could do something, you know, with a cancer or whatever, it's just exciting. But the reason why we do it is not just because it's exciting, but that'll work in the beginning. God's so gracious, it just gets anybody to get outside their boat and start praying for people, people they don't know, people that are sick. It's good. But when it's motivated by compassion, and sometimes we don't have all that compassion inside of us, we just have to sort of go along with the Lord for a while until the compassion falls. But look what he said with the he names these apostles, and then look at Matthew 10. So what I'm trying to say is, a bridge of love in the supernatural is powerful. The supernatural, prophetic words, praying for people like we do here with the words of knowledge, praying for people, it's out of compassion, it's out of God's mercy that we do this. It's mercy ministry, not just power ministry. And if you see it that way, God will give you even more, and you'll get more and more comfortable. It's one thing for me to feel if I see a person in the mall and I see them not doing well to go up to them in power. It's another that I just can't stand it. I feel bad for them. And so I just got to go up and give a prayer. And that's what my grandmother felt. She just felt bad for them. And so she'd go and pray for them, right? But if we could put mercy and faith together, we've got to dynamic combo. Not only do we feel the mercy, but we know that God's Spirit's inside of us. We know that we can do this. We know Jesus instructed us to do it. And it may not make us look good. We may feel a little uneasy about it. But compassion will compel us. And as it does, we have to step out in faith. And sometimes we'll look exposed and ridiculous and silly. But it's worth it. Because when somebody gets healed, someone gets encountered with the love of God, even in the marketplace, in the strangest place. Mercy speaks. You might be able to tell them the gospel up and down, but when they experience someone's hug, someone's touch, some, helping them in the car, praying for the sick, or seeing a leg grow out, or whatever it is, mercy speaks. So we need to do signs and wonders because it's important that we use all the tools that God has given us. We don't just delegate to those crazy people who are out there out in the streets all the time or someone that's kind of... Granted, there are people that are more gifted, but they're to lead the way. They're to equip the rest of us to get bold enough to begin to do the things that Jesus told us to do. We're supposed to do what Jesus did. And the question is, is the church doing what Jesus wants us to do? Well, if you can't do it out of faith, do it from mercy. 
Because that person limping down the road, that person that's sick in the hospital with COVID, they, they need healing. They need God's touch, right? And so it's important that we expose ourselves and put ourselves in a place of risk, nothing else because of that. Not because we want to big, get a big name for ourselves or because we're the healing church or because we've graced faith or because we know the truth. That's a little counterproductive. You can even heal somebody arrogantly. What they need is to be healed and they need someone to give them a break. <laughs> someone say, look, God did this. He loves you so much. And I know you've been in a problem, this and that, but God will help you get out of that too. And, and I know you've been divorced, you know, and, and you've had this thing and that thing, and I know you've made some mistakes and you ended up in jail. It's okay. God can get you out of that too. Get up and walk, right? They go hand in hand. As long as that's in the place, I'll tell you what, the church becomes unstoppable. It becomes mercy personified that speaks to the whole world. As you go proclaim this message, he said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Now, this is the thing he's given the disciples. I mean, they, had, they knew nothing, you know. And I'm sure they were more than a little surprised when he said, heal the sick. And then he says this one, raise the dead. What? <laughs> now, if you just put yourself in those apostles' shoes, can you imagine? Yeah, go over there and heal the sick and raise the dead. I told you a lot. My favorite stories from all that we've been doing overseas, that guy who couldn't get a convert to save his life, six months missionary in India, could not find anyone that wanted Jesus. And this mass of his, uh, Hindus and Muslims, and he was assigned to this district, and he was supposed to plant a church. Nothing was happening <laughs> until the time when they dropped a dead woman in front of his feet and said, well, if Jesus rose from the dead, raise my mother up. So he prayed for her in more than a little bit of fear. And she rose from the dead. And guess what? After that, he didn't have any more problem with church planting. No more problems. They came to him. And there's another thing I, I'll never forget as long as I live. And some of you have been around me long enough so you've heard some of these stories. But I, I live for these stories. I... I, I, I organized my life around him, so to speak. And I remember we were in India one time. This was many years ago, 20-something years ago. And I remember I was standing on a stage, and I was giving uh, this altar call, and we were doing healing as well. And so these people were bringing their, their people up, but I had a healing team up in front. They were up there, you know, a ministry team. And I remember, <laughs> like it was yesterday, this poor little girl, her legs were limp, and this uh, this man was carrying her and he, he singled out one of my the members of my team to pray for her but my friend got so overwhelmed he didn't want to pray for this kid he felt so bad and he was afraid if he prayed for her it wouldn't work and he just couldn't take, stand it so he was I'm watching on the stable I'm speaking and this guy is chasing my friend around with his girl in his arms you know like that my guy friend's going as fast as he can away from it right which, uh, which is so great I mean you know we don't have any superheroes here we just have people that are just weak, willing to take a little step outside their comfort zone and offer some compassion. And I'll never forget it. And I'm watching this whole thing, and finally the guy corralled him. So the, he, they lower the girl on the ground, and he puts his hands on her feet. And I'll never forget it. He couldn't pray. All he could do was cry. And I'm watching the tears hit this girl's feet. And that's all he could do. And she got well. Movement began to happen in her, her, uh, her legs. I don't think she got totally there, but she could feel feeling and stuff came back into her legs. And, and uh, so the thing is, even if nothing happened, it's the right thing to do. And if it didn't happen with her, it'll happen with another one. Somewhere away. And I don't know why the percentages sometimes are not 100%. Sometimes in a time like that, they're 100%. Everything happens. We'll leave that to God. But mercy speaks so we need to offer what we have. And the funny thing about a person like that chasing my friend, he didn't really believe it could happen, but maybe he had this little hope, the father carrying his child, you know. And if nothing happened, you know, he would have thought, you know, okay, well, I gave it a shot, you know. But these people were here. So people have rather low expectations of you, by the way. <laughs> If you're having a hard time believing, believe me, they're having a hard time believing. But sometimes, just that you would care enough 
to pray for them, that you would care enough. And if you can do it in a way that's not arrogant or not haughty, but you care enough to do it, that's all it takes, you know? And actually, as we see the church unfold in the New Testament, this is just normal operating procedure. But could I just add to you, not only do we know about the the power of these great apostles, but also, could we just say that they also carried the compassion of Jesus as well, just like he did. Romans chapter 8, uh, 15, uh, 17 to 20. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. But notice, how did he do it? By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. That's how he invaded Rome. Let me just tell you, if you understood history and understand what Rome was like, they needed signs and wonders. There was no other way to invade them. Our country is getting harder and harder. And as are other countries of the world. Maybe not even as hard as ours, though, because there's other kinds of philosophical stuff and things that are on top. But everybody understands a sign and a wonder. Everybody understands that they were once were sick and now they're well. By the power of signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Ilicrum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I like that. What it means to fully proclaim the gospel of Christ, not just the information, but also the works, the love, the compassion, and the supernatural healing. We have Christ in our name, and it's not by accident. And even if we pray and nothing happens, we still did what we're supposed to do. And by God's grace, the only way we'll learn and the only way we'll get an anointing is we just keep on doing it until we see more and more and our confidence grows, our faith grows. But this is the way in and it's the way on. And it always has been from the very beginning of the church. And at the core of it is the mercy of God, the mercy that speaks. If you look at your outline, Roman numeral three, the reward of releasing mercy to the world. I don't want to just read these Wonderful verses. When we get good at this, the reward is spectacular. What is the result of all of this, right? Isaiah 58. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? He's talking about the kind of sacrifice, the kind of religion God wants. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Wow, that's interesting. You do this, and your light breaks forth, and your healing will quickly appear. You do this for others, and yours comes right back on you. Isn't it just like God? There's enough love to go around, evidently, right? Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God will protect you and your family and your household. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. Mercy speaks back to you. You give mercy, and then... He speaks back. You speak your, His word. You demonstrate His word. And the Lord answers back. You will cry for help and He will say, Here am I. So we're pointed outward with mercy, compassion, grace. Even we're fearful and trepidation. Even we don't have all the faith we think we need. You know what? When we do this and people get healed, people get delivered, we call and the Lord answers us too. Give and it shall be given to you. You'll cry for help. And he'll say, here am I. Matter of fact, this is such a big deal. I don't know where all of you are at, but could I just say that one of the way out, one of the ways out of difficult problems is be a giver, not a taker. Learn to keep sowing seed in the midst of your need. Hey, that rhymed. Even if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. I like these verses so much. They're so incredibly powerful, right? Look at verse verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. He will say, here am I. There it is. Here am I. Don't you want the Lord to say, here am I? Well, see, mercy speaks. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Mercy speaks. I like my light rising in the darkness. How about you? The Lord will guide you always. 
Verse 11, mercy speaks. He'll guide you. He'll tell you, this is the way, walk in it. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden and a spring whose waters never fail. I really like this lifestyle. It's getting better and better, right? Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I think that's our call. See, people will call to us and say, hey, these guys, they repair broken walls. They restore streets with dwellings. Mercy calls. The world calls. Hey, these guys, they repair broken walls. They restore streets with dwellings. That's our job. The amazing thing about this whole lifestyle is Jesus is an equal opportunity employer. Sometimes we think that we have to be all healed, all blessed, all just in the perfect shape to actually release this sort of ministry of the earth. But the truth is, it's just the opposite. God's not looking for he superheroes. And you may even feel shame from your own difficulty. You can't two, rub two nickels together, you say. Or maybe you're sick yourself. Or maybe you've been homeless. Do you know who I found one of the most powerful ambassadors for the homeless are? People that have been homeless are people that are homeless. They understand. They release this compassion. And as they grow up, and they get stronger. They become some of the strongest people you can imagine. It's not in your strength that God's looking for. It's His strength. He'll take you right where you're at. If you're in a difficulty, no matter what it is, don't let it shame you. Let it motivate you. You're on your way to a miracle. You just haven't found it yet. But boy, can you identify with all these people who are in the same place you are. We don't need to be high and mighty and great and look how wealthy we are, look how this, and we'll throw you a little bit of help here and a little bit of help there. Actually, the truth is, the weak have always been the best at helping the weak, not the strong. It's always that way. It's always been that way. The people with the most money don't always help, right? It's just ordinary people sometimes. If people have a lot of money, good, that's fine, but don't wait to help. Don't wait to get involved. Don't wait to let mercy speak through you because Jesus wants to do that desperately, especially during this time. Our entire country has entered into a, re a time of weakness, a time of great trial and tribulation. Our mercy, looking out for those that aren't doing well, even the hardened ones, giving a cup of cold water to a little child, <laughs> or whatever else we can find to do in compassion, is our way out and our country's way out of this situation. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We have power that nobody can imagine. We have supernatural power. We need not to be bashful about using it. And if it makes us look silly to pray for a person in the marketplace or in the mall or wherever we're at, and it doesn't happen, well, then so be it. Rather, better look silly and weak than never try at all. Because even that thing you did in the mall or in the marketplace or at your job and you pray for someone, they didn't believe you were going to help them, but they took a chance on you and they saw the mercy. And maybe the mercy that you showed toward them and the interest you showed in their situation is more important than even getting well at that moment because it leads them to higher ground, right? Mercy that speaks. Amen. Why don't we stand? Praise you, Lord. I can feel the mercy of God in our midst, you know? And uh, wow, we should, uh, we should pray for each other. <laughs> we should use this uh, opportunity. I can't imagine uh, us preaching a message like this and not seeing uh, God make some change in the room. So I, could I have some of the musicians? I'd appreciate if you guys could come a little bit. And I just got this feeling um, that God wants to show mercy to people here, maybe in a way that we hadn't expected. So could I just say this? If you need help, you just need God to show you mercy. You have no problem saying today, Lord, have mercy on me. Because <laughs> that's where you feel, you know. It may uh, it be a living situation you have. It may be a marriage situation. It may be a financial situation. It may be 
an impossible situation in your own household and home that just doesn't want to get well or fixed. I just want to encourage you today. Why don't you, if you are in that space, why don't you just come to the front? Why don't you just come right where you're at and just ask God to help you? And what we're going to do is I'm going to have some people come around and we're just going to pray for you, all right? As you pray for them, just respect the distance, respect them a little bit, but you know, you might want to ask them what's wrong or what could I pray with you about? And um, could I get you guys in the front that are going to be the prayees, if you could make a nice line across the front, and if you could turn your attention this way, if you could just turn around this way so we could see you. And you could back up to the stage a little bit so you could give us some room. And now, could I release some mercy givers for our congregation? Would you come up and pray for them? Ask them what's wrong. If you could spread a little bit to your right, guys, a little bit to your right, this way a little bit. If you guys could look at me, just spread out this way. A little space to your right, a little bit more, more. A little bit, take a couple more steps to your right. And fill in over here. All right, we'll get to you. Ah, I feel the presence of the Lord so strong. I'd be just like the Lord to heal and deliver today. I think he already did when we were ministering. So I'm just going to pray a general prayer, and then we're just going to do some worship. If you'd like the Lord just to touch your heart while you're standing there, feel free to go whenever you like, but we're just going to worship a little bit. I feel the atmosphere is so pregnant with mercy. Some of you just need to hear a word from your sponsor. So maybe you could just, while you're out in the crowd there, just be mindful if you go, have to go early. But could you just let the Lord touch you in the worship? Just let him rest on you. We're going to do some praying up here. But from your seat, if that's the way you feel, if you could just let the Lord talk to you, soften your heart. I think God has some things to say to you, no matter who you are today, okay? So why don't we just worship a little bit, okay? Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. And in the live stream as well, as you're listening, may the Lord rest on all of you. May God's Spirit come on you. May God fill you and renew you and touch you. May the Lord's grace and mercy be on you. May God speak to you in your seat or in your living room, wherever you are. And as you pray out to God, call out to Him today. May God's voice come. Say, this is the way, walk in it. May God give you some comfort or a word of wisdom or knowledge. May God encourage you as you're just standing there asking for His love and kindness. May He give you directions even and maybe a solution. It might not even come this moment, but it might come three hours from now or five hours from now for a difficult problem. Just cry out to Him and ask Him now in this time, in this space. You don't have to stay here long. Stay one minute, five minutes, three minutes, whatever you like. But in the worship, as we worship, do do business with God. Amen. God bless you. Yeah.